Good evening. Today is November the 7th, 1965. The temperature is a balmy minus 30 degrees Celsius. You are listening to KC4AAX broadcasting from Penhurst Station, Antarctica. My name is Ronald Diffio, and I'm a janitor by necessity and amateur historian by choice. Those of you listening in will likely already be familiar with me because the radio tower has not been in peak condition since the heavy winds this time last year. But if our program can reach the Argentinians and Brown Station, then I hope they are sufficiently entertained while renovating their new biological laboratories. The probable audience consists only of all of you at McMurdo Station, as well as a skeleton crew here at Penhurst. Last month, I found scattered papers in an office. After asking the meager quantity of possible keepers, I am as yet unable to ascertain the owner. So I took a closer inspection of the papers found in an apparently abandoned office. There are articles and newspaper clippings and official logs dating back at least 150 years. I asked again, and the radio was unoccupied for official use from 8 p.m. to 8.15 p.m. So perhaps I could use my amateur historian skills to organize these, talk a bit about the history of Antarctica nightly, and maybe we can all get our minds off of what's shaping up to be a formidable winter. The ideal case is that everyone here is entertained, morale gets a small but needed improvement. In the worst case, I spend a few hours each night speaking to myself. I'd like to begin tonight with something close to home. A British ship, the HMS Terror, did its part during the War of 1812. The crew of the Terror fought in a battle that inspired a certain Mr. Francis Scott Key to pen the Star-Spangled Banner. It faced many dangers in its time. A hurricane once ran into ground. But eventually, it was sent on an expedition led by James Clark Ross to a mysterious land known as Antarctica, along with another ship, the HMS Erebus. The ancient Greeks believed that before there were people or gods, before even time itself existed, there was a primordial void of chaos. Erebus, the embodiment of darkness, was born from this chaos. What terrible and wondrous things did the men of these days expect to find with ships named Terror and Erebus? These ships were the most suited to the harsh environment and icy waters of the Antarctic because, being bombing vessels, they were built to withstand incredible violence. These ships took themselves to Antarctica in 1842, only 20 years after the confirmation that there was a landmass at the South Pole, and not just frigid waters, as far as the eye can see. A fair bit of unease and criticism of the journey made its way to the public, which brings us to the first bit of history on this program. In the locked office I mentioned earlier, Amidst the myriad files, I found an issue of the Athlone Sentinel, dated Friday, March the 8th, 1839. Much of it was faded, and it crumbled at a touch, but I managed to copy what I could onto paper. An article within that was circled with red ink contained an interview with Lieutenant Archibald McMurdo aboard the HMS Terror, the same Archibald McMurdo that would later captain the Terror. It begins thusly. Begin quote. The importance of a voyage to lands as of yet uncharted is known only to men of a particular boldness. I found myself in attendance with such a man, the lieutenant of the HMS Terror. He went by the name Archibald McMurdo, 
and if you had asked me at the beginning of my experience what common ground he held with the namesake of the ship, I would have thought none. But this reporter's answer has been unquestioningly changed. End quote. Several paragraphs here are lost to the ephemeral quality of this ancient newspaper, but I managed to find another highlight during the interview with Lieutenant McMurdo. Begin quote. The dream is born not here, but on the steady land of home, and comes to realization in the snow and ice of the south. This place is for naught but the waiting in between. Sometimes I feel that the job is waiting still, while the world spins around us and pulls our destiny closer. End quote. Only a few sentences of the rest of the interview remain. It continues. Begin quote. McMurdo stands and approaches the wall adjacent to his bed. The sound hesitates for a moment before beginning again. It moves along a serpentine path on the wall until being as near to the captain's head as can be. End quote. Again, the context of this ghostly event is lost to time. The only words left salvageable were from the terminal paragraph, which here reads, begin quote, the captain called before this reporter stepped off the HMS Terror and looked seaward into the starless night. He said, The sound in my quarters. I think it's old Timothy Alanok. I'd wager he still thinks it's my fault that he couldn't swim back to the ship. I have some regrets about what happened. End quote. Excuse me? Yes. Yes, of course. I have just received word from our chief biologist, Harold Bright, that while the winds are growing towards a dangerous level, the wildlife here is behaving counterintuitively. He has cited what he believes to have been another group of Ross seals near Penhurst, and he would like to ask everyone to use extreme caution if a seal is sighted. These animals, usually solitary, are acting strangely once again, and can be aggressive. Thank you, Harold. I have with me another file from the mysterious office. This one is in significantly better condition. It looks to be a personal log from one of the first attempts at a land crossing on this continent. I feel it would be a suitable closing to this program, perhaps reminding us that though the burden here may feel heavy, it does not hang as heavy as once it did. The log reads, begin quote, 7th of November. 1915. The endurance has sank. We could not steer her clear of the ice we now stand on. If my hands would go numb again, I would be especially grateful to the Lord. The ache within them is maddening. I'd hope to find more of the crew here waiting ashore. But the wind blows the blinding snow into our eyes. Jefferson does my mind no favors, nor anyone else's, even his own. He sits far from the rest of the crew. He goes on about the tunnels under our feet. He says he can see where the ice is thin. According to Jefferson, the endurance going down to the depths was no failing of the crew, save for the folly of leaving our homes. There are fat, blubbering leeches below that are longer than a man. Jefferson saw dozens of them grasp and jerk the ship with their muscular tongues and that's what made her go down. Certainly not the approaching winter and its inevitable dangers. The man's a fool. I keep telling myself I'd give my share of rations to warm my hands.
It's too cold to write. We need to move anyway. 8th of November, 1915. Most of us have calmed down. We've decided to stay here until the end of winter. There's no chance of rescue, but maybe we can survive together. I'd like to move further north to get away from the worst of the cold, but we'd likely run across thin ice, and I have no desire to meet the endurance personally. Jefferson left this morning, bringing our number to six. When we found those penguins, he said he'd had enough and just walked away. I don't believe he'll return to us. I can't say I blame the man. The inside of a penguin is not something I'd like to see again. I don't think that they bleed because the blood freezes before much can flow. 9th of November, 1915. Jefferson came back to us nearly naked. He made no mention of the leeches, but he said there were men where he came from. He said he was burning up. Then he died. Some of us are going out to investigate. The chance that there are more survivors in the endurance is slim, but Fort Wright and Reginald left in the direction from which Jefferson approached. I have my doubts we will see them alive again. End quote. And with that, I wish you all good night.